Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Health Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Keyes. Last episode, we launched our Day in the Life series, where we honored all healthcare workers across the nation by highlighting some of our most outstanding staff members here at CHI St. Luke's Health. ER supervisor and RN Tony Rogers joined us, and I must say it was quite a fun episode. So please, if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend checking it out. But today, we are continuing the series with our special guest, RN case manager in the ICU, Jennifer Clark. Jennifer graduated with her ADN in 2004 from Tombow Community College and later went on to earn her BSN from Grand Canyon University. She has over 16 years of experience as an RN, 11 years experience as a case manager, has been certified in case management for seven years, and, as I mentioned earlier, is currently assigned to the ICU. Jennifer is a Navy veteran, where she met her husband of 28 years. Together, they have two children, their son, who is also in the Navy, and their daughter, who married earlier this year. When she is not managing cases, she is an obnoxiously avid traveler, those are her words, and a lifelong reader. Jennifer Clark, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is good. So, Jennifer... If you have listened to the podcast before, you would know that we like to start off with a little bit of fun. So my first question for you is travel related, Okay. since you describe yourself as an avid traveler. So where was the last place you traveled to? And if I left right now with no bags and only a very thin piece of leather in my pocket that I sometimes call a wallet, what is the first thing I should do when I get there? Well, the last place I traveled was Las Vegas for my daughter's wedding. Okay. So destination wedding there. Um, if you brought your wallet, I would hope it would be thick <laughs> to go to Vegas. Um, they, def- they definitely need to recoup some losses. Yeah. I have, um, you know, my wife and I were from California, so we used to go to Las Vegas all the time. It was only four hours away. Um, where'd you guys stay? Uh, we stayed at the Paris Hotel. She was married at the oh, Paris Hotel. Beautiful hotel. Mm-hmm. Beautiful hotel. I'm more of a Mandalay Bay because I like the just sit in the water and let it kind of push me around wherever those lazy rivers. Um, but uh, good times. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time out there. So, all right. So let's dive in. As I mentioned, this series is about capturing what a day in the life is like for you. And, you know, last time with Tony, like with Tony, you are currently the spokesperson for all RN case managers across the planet. So no pressure. <laughs> so can you kind of go through what being an RN case manager is like? You know, to be honest, I have heard this title before, but I really kind of only vaguely know what it means. So can you go through what it means to do your job? I think in a sentence, I would say that case management is seeing patients from admission to discharge and beyond throughout a hospital stay. But to break it down, I would say that it's financial, partially, and patient advocate, partially. Right. How many cases do you get, I guess, in a typical shift? Today, 25. 25 cases. So the entire ICU and IMU. Wow. That's a lot to juggle. It is a lot to juggle. It takes a lot of... Um, critical thinking, a lot of task managing. Right. Yeah. I guess in a sense, it's also, I mean, uh, like you said, it's kind of patient advocate, but with 25 cases, um, 
that's really having to genuinely remember everyone's specific needs, everyone's kind of, um, I guess, kind of goals as well, like what's going to happen after they leave the hospital, right? Um, but that's a lot. So is 25 your full load? Do you get more or less? Um, I think right now is an, ex- an exception to the rule. Okay. Given COVID, given wow. the hospital status, we're right. running sort of at half staff right now. Right. Um, so that's not the norm, you right. know. Normally, you'd run between 18 and 20. Right. Wow. Well, you're doing great. We appreciate you. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, What is the best part of your job? Um, Probably meeting people. I love... It plays into my travels, too. I just find people fascinating. Sure. So, throughout the years, having met... um, people from all walks of life, from all cultures, um, with different experiences. I find it just tremendously fascinating. Yeah. I, I remember when I was working at a physical therapy clinic, I, I remember I would always ask like, so what do you do for a living? Just kind of to kind of pass the time as people are doing their exercises and working with them. And, um, one guy, he says, uh, I captain a yacht. And that was the most fascinating <laughs> thing in the world. I was like, what? <laughs> but that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. It, meeting people is, is a really cool, it's a fun experience. So Yeah, and hearing their, you know, their life stories and it's just very interesting. Every, every th- I think my most interesting was a concentration camp survivor. Wow. And in the same hospital, I had a German soldier. Whoa. They're both, you know, obviously elderly right. at the end of their lives, but... Very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. What is the hardest part of your job? Helping people or guiding people through a critical thinking process or thinking logically when they're in feelings, they're in their emotions, and they're having a hard time getting outside of it to look at long-term picture, things that we're dealing with, trying to figure out maybe long-term placement and they can't get beyond what they're feeling emotionally. Right. So if they're, you know, can't get beyond just mom's had a catastrophic stroke and we're trying to look, you know, long term, what are we going to do for them and trying to help guide them? You know, you really need family's help to move them through the continuum, um, helping them through, and you know, and being sensitive to their emotional state as well. Right. Yeah, I can imagine that. I, you know, it's, a hospital in and of itself, even if you're just coming to have lunch in the cafe, can be somewhat intimidating for some people. Um, and then all of these big science words can be somewhat intimidating for people. And then also the emotional part of how a family member may be sick or and what their future long care lo- looks like. So yeah, that's that's a lot to juggle. It is a lot to juggle. Yeah. It's a lot that's of one case. It's um, a lot of emotional stress. Right. You know, dealing, trying to help people. Um, so it can be taxing. Yeah, I you. bet. Okay, so like I said, you know, kind of going into this, I had no idea really what a case manager did. So I reached out to a couple of my nursing friends, and the way they kind of describe it almost seemed like somewhat of a liaison between inpatient and outpatient care. Um, but I can imagine, you know, like with most nursing positions, it's it's way more than that. Uh, and it kind of requires a, ga- a great deal of connection with, with the patient. So can you kind of go into how developing rapport and connecting with patients plays a big role in nursing and, and I guess more specifically for case management? So as case managers in the hospital setting, we typically want to start that relationship within the first day or the first 24 hours. So if you came in yesterday, we want to meet with you or your family to establish 
baseline activity level, social situation, um, barriers prior to getting them what they need. Um, and that's usually we go in in the very beginning and call or meet at the bedside. More recently, we've been doing a lot of calling because of COVID right. and um, trying to maintain PPE and not go into isolation rooms. But typically, we're at the bedside. We're using our nurse knowledge to assess the patient as well. So you're using both pieces. You're using that right. critical thinking, like looking at them, making an assessment right. on what you see and then what they might project on what they might need. Yeah. So the biggest piece I always enter is, in, is introducing myself as an advocate for them. So sure. I'm here to help you with what you might need when it's time to leave the hospital. Right. But throughout your stay. So just establishing that trust in the beginning and letting them know that you're here for them, that you work for the patient, um, but you represent the hospital. Um, and then I think another big key is just being very transparent and being very honest. Yeah. I'm very, um, sometimes can come across as being brutally honest, but I feel like patients deserve that and their families right. deserve to know what you're dealing with, um, and what to expect. Right. So you, you kind of said, um, you know, what are the services that they might need after they leave the hospital ballpark? How many different services do you think you have like on a list that you usually give people? Is it like 35 different services that you would, I mean, there's probably yeah, dozens of services right. to give people, you know, it can be as simple as you need a walker to go home or it can be as complex as you're unfunded and you had a catastrophic stroke and you need charity hospice. You need right. uh, transport to get to a family member's house. Um, you're trying to help them coordinate how to achieve all this. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like all the stuff you're juggling here within the hospital that you talked about is you also have to have all those connections outside of the hospital. And that's kind of where I was kind of going with that question is how many qu connections do you really oh, have? It's, hundreds, it's what I mean. It's got to be hundreds, a crazy amount. Hundreds. And the thing is about it. And just like other healthcare entities, it's dynamic. It's changing all the time. Yeah. So you might have a connection at one time with a person that works in a rehab and the next minute they're working for a home health. Right. Um, so yeah, there are dozens of hundreds of companies that you're dealing with from hospice to Man. DME or durable medical equipment. Yeah. Um, so, and it's yeah, always ambulance companies. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So, you know, what made you want to become a case manager? And I guess, you know, Last time we talked with Tony, we talked about kind of how she wanted, she knew the kind of the moment she wanted to get into ER. Kind of curious, how, how does one know they want to become a case manager? They do not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was by chance. I was um, working as a nurse and floating throughout the hospital that I worked at that, that time and um, was waiting for a float pool position to open up and it was on hold. And my friend who kept, kind of pestering me saying I think you'd be really great at this I really think you should try and just happened to fall into it applied and interviewed with the director of case management at the time and kind of fell into it not knowing that it was going to be really an entirely new job yeah learning and you know an entirely new job yeah, but I guess in for those who don't know what float pool or float means, it, it's kind of this pool of nurses that 
uh, they, the hospital will kind of pick from, choose from to send them to different departments wherever there's a need. Um, right. I guess your experience there probably really helped you. It does. Yeah. yeah. It helps to, to know, you know, that in case management, you're going to, you know, you're fulfilling the needs of the entire hospital. Right. Sometimes multiple hospitals like we do here, we cover St. Luke's and Lakeside right. and Springwoods. Um, so it helps if you've worked in postpartum, <laughs> floated to postpartum <laughs> and also tele or, you know, right, right. um, step down, something like that to just help you see the entire, how the entire hospital system works. Yeah, definitely. So, it's, I mean, it's good. You got that experience in float pool. Right. Um, okay. This question is powerful. I asked it with Tony last time, but I think it's very good for people to hear uh, such kind of rawness to th- that that really can be very profound. So describe to me the hardest day of work you have ever had. So I thought about this. It's it, not a day. It was a case. Um, at the time, I was working in a long-term acute care hospital, which is an acute care setting, but specialty type hospital. It's usually for patients that need to weed off of ventilators or have very complex needs or catastrophic cases. And the case, the patient had had a catastrophic um, head bleed um, and was in a persistent kind of vegetative state. The sister was the only family member and I was trying to deal with her. They were of profound faith. Um, trying to help her, guide her through the steps of if she wanted to continue to care for her sister, try to help guide her. But again, like I was going back to, she sort of stayed in her emotional state was driving most of her decision and her thinking at that time and not really allowing her to see the bigger picture or the needs. Um, Throughout that case, I got called quite a few names uh, some of which were soulless, um, heartless, that I wasn't, you know, um, having her best interest in heart. But at the time, she couldn't see that. Um, unfortunately, her sister ended up passing away there. And it did come full circle, you know, and you don't always get cases where they come back and say, wow, you know, I really um, look back on that case and and the, all the help that you helped me with and realized you really were being there for my sister and called later after she passed away and, and thanked me. But at the time, I had to... It's hard to take yourself out of it and realize they're projecting their emotions on you and you're a target for that. At times, you know, you try to stay as thick-skinned as possible. Right. But we're people too. Oh, yeah. We feel. So um, even after you've been doing this a long time, you, you know still can still can wound you or hurt you so yeah definitely you know words can really hurt and especially when you're really trying to be an advocate um man that's hard that's tough um well in contrast to the last question can you go over the most positive memorable day or maybe case that you have ever had definitely probably most recently you know we had our first COVID case here at the hospital And um, I don't usually get as emotional, but um, watching him progress and then talking to him and helping um, advocate that he stay at the hospital and finish rehab here um, with the help of other people, not not just me. Right. Um, But I cried on the phone with his wife. And I mean, I don't usually cry, but it got me, you know, it was I'm he's a. 
you know, his profession. Um, it was something near and dear to my heart. Right. Um, my mom's um, in that was in that profession. So um, it was just it was nice to see such a success story. And I cried when he left the hospital too. Yeah. Um, watching him walk out. Tears so. of joy. It's powerful. Yeah. It's yeah. really you know going through this this um, COVID has been really exceptional. Yeah. So. Yeah, it gives you chills. I mean, you, you see the video of him leaving. Him, yeah. he's wearing his his punching Gave gloves, him. his boxing gloves. Yeah. So Got a little he, tap. Yeah, that's um, that's really cool. It gives you chills even now, just kind of seeing that scene, and um, it's a cool a cool thing to see. Right. And kind of really, I guess it encapsulates how um the whole hospital came together, and and if you kind of think about everything that went down, just and even now, like you said, for the care, the aftercare that I'm sure you still continue to have. Um, it's just amazing that everyone, it's really the whole unit, a whole big unit. It's really cool to see. What is something about your job that isn't common knowledge, but it's just flat out remarkable, you know, something that goes unsaid or unglorified as it's part of the job description. But yet, um, you know, if you kind of told me I'd be floored. I think that most people don't realize in the sidelines, how often we have to sometimes go up against people who are above our pay grade or Goliaths in insurance companies to push to get what the patient deserves um, to get. Um, And that's probably one of the biggest things. I think one of the other things is that we've done things, you know, that you wouldn't think drive people home, buy people clothes, you know, throughout the years. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. And like you said, you think about it, like you said, as an, as being an advocate, it's more than just even really kind of bedside care, right? It's the back end stuff that you're like you talking about here where you're calling insurance companies or whatever to really advocate for uh, the patients so that um, they don't have to. Right. And like you said, drive them home. That's I've yeah. Driven family members home. <laughs> right. Really, right. Probably not supposed to, but um, <laughs> you kind of, you know, you live in a community, you know, these are people that you might run into at the store. Right. So you know, you try to be the best, right. You know, community member you can be too, and you know, help where you can. Right. Uh, so as someone who has worked in healthcare for over 15 years, I kind of want to talk a little bit about COVID. Um, have you seen anything or had to work through anything like we are seeing here with COVID-19? Well, definitely I would say through like H1N1 was pretty bad. Um, and I also, have worked through a couple of hurricanes. Oh yeah, that were pretty um, trying. Not nearly on this scale. You know, hurricane comes and um, the hospitals without power. Right. So you're, you know, you're juggling to get creative to meet the patient's needs um, to keep everyone's emotions, you know, in check too. Right. Because like a hurricane, this COVID has been emotionally charged for people as well. It's not just a, um, pandemic, but it affects people emotionally. So what about for case management? I mean, how has COVID-19 kind of changed that landscape? I mean, I can, I kind of can imagine that bedside care navigated the unknown and there must be a little bit of an unknown for case management as well. There's a huge unknown. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one part of it was, is it's extremely difficult in having no visitors for patients that are critically um, fatally ill in some cases and their family members not being able to come to the hospital. 
right or limited visitation was extremely difficult is being kind of the liaison um in talking with you know family members on the phone um oftentimes you're the person that they reach out to right um to you know you're gonna get a different nurse on a shift but you're probably gonna have the same case manager throughout this day so um that has been extremely difficult again the other thing is just with things changing every day sometimes on you know what we how we're going to handle things and how things are going to be handled was challenging um definitely aftercare is a huge was a huge barrier it's that's what i was all dealing with something new right um so for places like hospitals where people come in through the door and we don't turn anyone away we treat everyone it's not the same for secondary care so yes we can provide the hospital but not you know infinitely um so we we need that secondary support of um, home health um, right. arranging secondary care rehab things like that was very difficult to navigate when things are changing daily right yeah i mean you, you said before that's kind of what i was kind of alluding to is how many resources do you really have for these people to go whenever not just covid but any patient that you're sending away from the hospital whenever they're ready to move move on um you know, how many resources you have? You said hundreds, hundreds. maybe thousands, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of those have probably changed all of their policies. So right. I can imagine that uh, when you go to send someone someone off, it, it's a phone call, it's an email, and it's like, hey, are, can you still see people right now? Right. Or what is your... It's a lot of networking, right. a, right. Lo- a lot of networking within our department. We continually count on each other for resources. Hey, you, you might have found out something quicker right. or sooner than I did. And um, that is helpful. So, but definitely, you know, making phone calls daily. Hey, are you taking patients with COVID? What's your status right now? So Jeez. that was changing all the time. And it still is changing. Yeah. So. So what do you look forward to every single shift, you know, when you put that mask on, you walk through the doors, what's the thing that uh, drives you? People. Yeah, you Definitely. Like I always tell people <laughs> this is my favorite part of the day is when I actually get to get away from my desk, get away from the financial piece where I'm right. looking at, are they in the right status? Are, you know, did we get authorization for this patient to be here? Um, did I send clinical updates? That's the least favorite part of my job it's a necessary evil right um but my definitely my favorite part of the day is when they say do you want to sit down no i want to stand and talk to you because (laughs) i have been sitting all day and i want to i want to meet you i want to talk to you and i want to you know find out what your goal is yeah yeah connect and that's kind of what i've noticed a lot of some of these nurses have and have said is is the connection with people it's just that's their favorite part it's the best part absolutely um okay so i like to end the podcast the way that we started with some fun so my last question for you is revolved around travel again. You're going to be my travel agent. I'm going to give you like five of my favorite hobbies or things that I like to do when I'm on vacation. And then you have to give me one or two places that I should go. Does that sound like fun? This is after COVID, right? Because <laughs> you're not <laughs> yeah, going anywhere yeah, right no, now. No, no. <laughs> Imagine COVID just never happened. Okay. Okay. I like to fish, mostly fresh water. I like cool, clean, crisp air. I like to go and find a, a good local place to eat, preferably without a collar. I like to explore. And I, I have not traveled much out of the country, so I would like for it to be out of the country. Ooh. I know. 
threw you for a little loop on the last one. You did. I was thinking maybe Patagonia and <laughs> like Chile. Okay. Um, I definitely a sounds like a country. I haven't been to Chile. I have been to South America, mm-hmm. to uh, Peru and Ecuador. Um, but so I'm going to Chile. On, it's on my list, and I think it might you know would be a good idea that it might be on your list too yeah well uh, we saw i told you i was from california i know you said you're from san diego my wife and i used to love go up to the sierras all the time go fishing hiking all that stuff so i was kind of thinking that but i was like but i went out of the country out of the country and see see what you had so chili okay that's where i'm going some good food some yeah. good people beautiful landscape they have the beaches okay. the mountains the lakes you got everything yeah okay i'm on my way <laughs> Well, th- well, Jennifer, thank you so much for doing this today. Um, it has been a lot of fun, and we appreciate everything that you do for us. Sounds like you do a lot. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to say before we go? No. I keep fighting the fight. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. So thank you again, and thank you listeners for tuning in. Uh, we will be continuing our A Day of the Life series. Um, so stay tuned. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.